Would you take your Bible with me this morning and turn to uh, the book of Galatians? It is good to be back in, in one room this morning. It's also fun to see people on a Sunday morning who haven't seen people on a Sunday morning in a while. Um, that was maybe the highlight of my morning is they were like, hey, hey, oh, hey, yeah, okay. Um, and, uh, and interacting in, in a way that we haven't been able to for over, over a year. That's, that's a grace uh, to, to have that happen. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there, there are uh, a few left back there on the back table. Uh, feel free to stand up and grab one of those hardback black Bibles back there. Um, and uh, this morning's sermon text in those Bibles you'll find on page 1,158. We are in Galatians this morning. Last week we were in Ephesians, so just go back one book earlier to Galatians. And we're right at the end of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, just two verses this morning in Galatians chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a, a, there's a stack beneath the giving box in the back um, of Bibles back there. Go ahead and grab one of those, and, uh, and that's our gift to you this morning. If you need a new copy of God's Word, uh, similarly, if you're sharing the gospel with a friend or a neighbor or a coworker and need a copy of God's Word to give to them, um, by all means, pick one of those up, and uh, we'd love to assist in, uh, in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people who have yet to believe. Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 this morning. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Galatia, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is our fifth week exploring what it looks like to live the gospel as God's people, to be those who are seeing and understanding who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, then living that out in our lives. And so this morning we want to explore the gospel principle of caring and offering care to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to those who, who are around us in our world. But before we get into that, um, I'm sure maybe maybe some of you have said this at some point in your life, is to say something like, I would love to be a fly on a wall for that. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because, um, not because that's the scenario I want you to think about, but think about the fact that that's probably the only time that you've ever said that you want to be a housefly. But, um, <laughs> but would you uh, just imagine with me for a second that you are a, a housefly and you're, you're buzzing along you're doing, you're doing your thing. You're looking with your compound eyes for some trash to eat because um, I think that's what flies do. And, and then all of a sudden, you're caught in something. You're, you're caught in a way that you haven't been caught um, before. It's sticky and it's invisible. And a second ago, like I said, you were buzzing around happily. You, you didn't see this, this coming. You're caught in a spider web. And, and you're about to become lunch. Now, you don't have to be a housefly to, to think or to have a, a moment like that in your life. You don't have to be a housefly to feel like you're caught in something, to feel like you're caught up in a spider's web. Maybe, maybe even here, you're here this morning and your life was humming along really, really well, and you thought things were going really, really well, and then you found yourself stuck. And oftentimes, for us as Christians, we realize that what 
sticks to us is sin and the effects of it. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been blindsided and you're wondering sort of what's next in your life. Well, there's good news for you. And I think there's a lot of good news that's wrapped up in this text. Uh, and, uh, and that's what we want to explore together. Because together, as God's people, we're called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to what Paul says, to fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. And that, that looks like, according to this text, gentle, compassionate care for one another. Desiring to see one another, Paul says here, restored. And so like I said, this morning's good news principle we're going to explore is caring. What does it look like to care for others in our midst? And like I've done every week, we're going to give you a statement here. And this is the statement that we'll kind of build off of throughout our time. There is no greater burden than that which was laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross. He bore the sins of all of those who call upon his name. In response, we are called, when a brother or sister is caught in the web of sin, to bear one another's burdens. By doing so, we fulfill the command to love one another. We offer genuine care for one another when when we keep eternity in view. That's an important component here. When we keep eternity in view, when we see what Jesus Christ has done for us and see what his sacrifice purchased for us and keep eternity in view, that is when and where we offer genuine care to one another. Caring isn't just like we've explored almost every single week with all of these principles. Caring isn't just saying words, but caring is living life and acting in a particular way. It's not just saying, I care about you, although oftentimes it can begin there. Caring, rather, is a demonstration of love that seeks to lighten the burden of sin and its effects in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, You no doubt are probably beginning to see lots of overlap between the last several weeks and, and this week. We've talked about things like welcoming and serving and fellowshipping as good news principles. And last week, we considered Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And in that text, there's a clear connection between this one and that one. Because the goal of growing is to be like Jesus Christ. The goal of growing, last week's principle, is to be like Jesus Christ. And when we're like Jesus, we identify the threats to, uh, to each other and one another in the Christian life. Like last week's examples that we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, we're compromising the gospel, adding to, subtracting to, substituting in and out of the gospel. Or like being carried uh, away by worldly wisdom. Or like believing the lies of Satan. These are threats that our, Paul identifies in Ephesians chapter 4. So again, to go back to our housefly thing, if, if we're a cloud of houseflies, that's the official, that's the official term for, uh, for a group of houseflies is a cloud. You could also call it a swarm, but cloud sounds better. So cloud of houseflies that's flying around. And if we as a church are like that, which is sort of a crude example, but if we're growing to be like Jesus, we will get really good at, at identifying the spider webs, the things that'll sna- snare us the things that will catch on to us, and the sticky things that we, you and I, can run into. 
speaking truth in love then is pointing out the sin that can quickly snare us. And if you remember that from Ephesians chapter 4, that's what Paul says in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Part of speaking truth in love is identifying and demonstrating what it means for us to see sin and to avoid it. That, what that doesn't mean is that we won't get caught. What that doesn't mean is that we won't stumble and trip and fall into sin. This is where this text in Galatians 6 and genuine care for brothers and sisters in Christ comes into play. When sin rears its heads in the life of a brother and sister in Christ, when we find ourselves up against it, we need to remember that Jesus bore the burden of sin and has restored us and so gifted us as a people, as a group of people. He has so gifted us that we might be equipped for the ministry of restoring one another. So, these two verses this morning, here's the roadmap. Here, here's what I want you to see as we work our way through these verses this morning. First thing is, I just want to talk about the stickiness of sin and how we can better identify and see the things that lay in front of us as potential snares and traps. The second thing is to consider how we bear one another's burdens, like Paul says in verse 2. What does that actually look like and what's the process? Paul gives, a, I think, a practical process here just in these two verses. And then finally, we'll draw out some further application this morning. So the first thing that I want you to see is just the stickiness of sin. And I think I also want to say, although it's not in the notes, you say the stickiness and subtlety of sin. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Reminded, it's, it's right there in the text, uh, that sin clings closely. That sin is something that clings closely to us. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we are free from sin, but you and I still inhabit flesh and we are drawn to sin. We are drawn to it. When, when the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this uh, back when we talked about John chapter 3, and even last week we unpacked this a little bit, but when the Holy Spirit breathes new life into us, we are made new in, in, internally. But we don't exchange our, our body. We look the same. We're the same people externally as we were prior to Christ in our lives. And this body that you and I inhabit in this room uh, is decaying, it's breaking down, it's susceptible to death. And on the, but on the last day, when Jesus returns, we will inherit a glorified body that matches what God has done through the Holy Spirit through in us. And that new body will be undying. And it will have undying life. Eternal life that's been given because of Jesus' work on the cross. So. Although we are free, if you're in Christ this morning, you are free from being enslaved to sin. You're free of that. You are still susceptible to sin because sin is subtle and our flesh oftentimes desires it. So sin is sticky business, just like a, just like a spider web. That's the image I want you to keep in your mind. 
that it oftentimes feels invisible. And if we're not good at identifying it, we run into it and it's subtle, it's sticky. Sometimes in our lives, we know this, sometimes in our lives, sin is boisterous and brash. It's out there. It's, it's easily identified. Um, and those things are given to us in scripture, like murder or adultery or stealing or lying. But these boisterous and brash sins don't typically come out of nowhere. There's a slow build into these things. A slow giving over to sin in the corners of our hearts. The origins of these big, boisterous, brash sins begin in hidden places. They begin with a quiet internal conversation that goes something like the serpent, the conversation that the serpent had with Eve in the garden, beginning with, did God really say? Did God really say? And all of a sudden we're caught. All of a sudden we're ensnared in that moment. Because as soon as that enters into our minds, did God really say? We're already down the path to being stuck. Now, those words may not be exactly what pops into your mind when you see or are lured by sin. But it's the underlying problem. Is that what God says, we don't think he really said. All of a sudden, we're caught and snared and stuck. Say, for example, we, we, we harbor an ounce of bitterness. And then all of a sudden, we're being crushed under the weight of a ton of hatred, unable to forgive. Or or we let a bit of gossip slip out of our, our mouths. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves destroying the reputation of others, tearing them down. Or we take a moment to grumble and complain, saying that we're just venting. I'm just venting. And all of a sudden, we're living a life with a sense of entitlement. We're thinking to ourselves that we're owed something that we are not owed. Or we allow in a moment of unchecked indulgence to glance inappropriate images on the internet. We find ourselves feasting our eyes then in unchecked immorality. We convince ourselves that our interests are greater than others and seek to justify ourselves By asking, just like the lawyer in Luke chapter 10, who is my neighbor? And then we find ourselves continually passing others as they lie spiritually beaten up on the side of the road. These are the subtleties and show the stickiness of sin. We find ourselves caught in these places. And the questions that we're really asking, although we might not say these words directly, we're just questioning the word of God. We say something like, you'll see them on the screen here, and these are meant to connect back to all of the examples I just gave. Did God really say, let all bitterness be put away from you? Did God really say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth? Did God really say, do all things without grumbling or disputing? Did God really say, flee from sexual immorality? Did God really say, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others? Now we find ourselves in the position as those who are in Christ. These sticky, subtle things can find their way or work their way in. Again, we are free from sin. But like Paul says earlier in Galatians, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. By saying, did God really say, we may be using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now these are just some examples, but again, they show that sticky, subtle nature 
of sin. And once caught in sin, it clings closely. It latches on and doesn't let go. Chooses up internally. We want to be free from it, but we're all wrapped up in that web. And so we must realize that sin is, in fact, sticky for our own sakes, but also for the sakes of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's largely what this text is about here in Galatians chapter 6. When we find ourselves stuck in sin or stuck because of the effects of sin in our life, God gives us gifts. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit who illuminates and shows us, highlights our sins so that we might repent and turn from it. He gives us his word in order to identify better the sin that clings so closely. And the the gift that he outlines here in Galatians 6 is the local church, the body of Christ, who exists to help us in the ministry of restoration. So look with me at verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, last week when we were talking about Ephesians chapter 4, and we got to that part uh, where where Paul says uh, that that God, Jesus Christ, in fact, gave the apostles, evangelists, uh, um, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and then... Um, He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, if that phrase was a little unclear to you, this helps clarify uh, the work of ministry that Christians are called to be equipped for. Oftentimes when we use the word ministry, we think about about maybe like church programming. We think about starting a youth group or a choir. But when Paul uses the word ministry, he's thinking about something altogether different. He's talking about an eternity. He's talking about eternity-focused tasks uh, that may happen in those contexts, but uh, are more um, geared at the individual. He's talking about caring for the souls of Christian brothers and sisters. And one of the ways, again, here in this text, one of the ways that the saints are called to the work of ministry is to act together to restore brothers and sisters who are caught in sin. That's what this text is about, and it's really important work. We'll, take, uh, we'll talk about some practical ways this looks in a few minutes, but before we move on, look at the last sentence in, um, in chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And again, this highlights the stickiness and subtlety of sin. Paul knew it. And he knew that we need to realize that whenever we address sin in the lives of others, sin won't go down without a fight. And we may be tempted, and so we need to keep watch over ourselves. That's important. It's going to come into play in this next section. But that leads us to the next verse then, verse 2, and sort of to the next point here. The next point is to just simply bear one another's burdens. And what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? There's a buildup in this text, and I want to show that to you. But when we talk about bearing one another's burdens, this is the restorative work that Paul is talking about in verse 1. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual spirit of gentleness. This is God's restorative work done through 
the means of others. This is how the restorative work gets done. By bearing one another's burdens. So let me give you the practical process that I think Paul envisions here. There are just three kind of, I don't know, steps, but they're, they're here and they show how this goes, how this happens. Three elements. The first element is simple. It's just the identification of sin. The identification of sin. So in order to do this, I want, I want to help with a hypothetical. How can we think about a hypothetical? Okay, so, so there's a brother in Christ who you know, who's part of, say, part of your community group. And we're going to call him Billy. Billy tells you in community group about a coworker who lied at work because of a mistake this coworker made. And as a result, it made Billy look bad. And it hurt Billy's reputation severely. And Billy's coworker didn't really seem to mind that, that Billy became the collateral damage in his, in, his, in his lies. It didn't really matter to Billy's coworker that Billy got hurt. And so now Billy is fuming, and during community group, he tells you about the injustice of the whole thing. Right? And there's absolutely injustice here. And this goes on for a few weeks, and after a while, it becomes apparent to you that Billy is struggling with the sin of unforgiveness. You've identified then the pattern of sin in Billy's life. Now, sometimes I think we're tempted to say, well, that's none of my business. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It is absolutely, as a brother and sister in Christ, your business. Because your brother Billy is caught in transgression. Billy is called to forgive, and he's been forgiven in Christ. And so he is called to forgive. But now Billy is caught in the web and the stickiness of sin, and it's clinging closely. That leads us then to the second element. Because once you identify the sin, you need to go back up into verse 1 and see there that you need to keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now there's a whole lot of different ways that you might be tempted in this situation. There's a whole lot of ways that prior to addressing the sin in the life of a brother and sister in Christ that you might be tempted. There's absolutely injustice in Billy's situation. It's okay to affirm that, to say, that, that's terrible. So sorry that that happened to you. His coworker should not have lied, and he shouldn't have traded away Billy's reputation so quickly. But, but friends, you would be sinning if you were to continue to allow for Billy to continue in his unforgiveness. And, and you might be tempted in a few ways here. So again, let me give you a couple of examples of ways that you might be tempted. One would just be to help Billy justify his own response to the situation. Simply to say, or to highlight, the coworker's sin. And by downplaying Billy's response, saying something like, I think you have every right to be upset. But, but now you've helped Billy continue in his sin and thereby entered into sin yourself. Another simple example of way that you might be tempted is just to take the path of least resistance and say nothing at all. Just to listen. You say, well, or maybe you say, that's a tough situation. And then think to yourself, this is Billy's mess. I can't get involved in this. To keep a close watch on yourself, like Paul says here in verse 1, to keep a close watch on yourself is to know how you may be tempted 
when confronted with the sin of others. And to understand how you may shy away from what Paul calls us to through the Holy Spirit in verse 1, the ministry of restoration. The third thing here, though, the third element is this. Then, once you've identified the sin and once you've uh, sort of taken a self, personal self-assessment, then bear one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens. And Billy's sin is a burden that he needs to be free from. And by helping Billy identify his sin, you bear Billy's burden with him. By, saying, by staying grounded in God's word and free from sin yourself and the power of the Holy Spirit, you bear Billy's burden with him. You're saying this isn't your problem. Sin threatens us all. We need to stay vigilant and watch out together. So here's a question that I think often comes up in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Because I think the natural outworking of this is just simply, or maybe to ask the question, does caring for one another, I've highlighted a, a specific sin instance, right? But asking the question, does caring for one another in the way these two verses describes here, refer to something other than blatant sin in the life of a brother and sister? In Billy's situation, there isn't blatant unforgiveness. In fact, he's extended forgiveness. Then what? Then is there an element of care that we can offer as God's people to brothers and sisters who find themselves in a similar situation to Billy? You may be asking, can I bear one another's burdens just by lending a helping hand in a tough situation? And now, I don't think that's the direct application of this text. I think Paul had sin in mind specifically when he wrote these two verses. But I do think that being present with someone in hardship, suffering, trial, there's a natural outworking of this text. So if you see someone just hurting, you can help bear their burdens because maybe they've become the collateral damage of someone's explicit sin or maybe just become the collateral damage of a sinful and fallen world. You can help bear burdens in that instance. We're never more susceptible to the subtleties and stickiness of sin when we're worn down by hardship. The vulnerability that many of us feel in those instances when we've suffered can be an, a prime opportunity to help bear burdens of those and fulfill the law of Christ. I know it. I get tired. I get snappy with my, with my wife and with my kids. When you have to work long hours, you may be tempted to do something like cut corners and compromise your own integrity. A loved one gets sick or dies, and we wonder where God is giving in to unbelief. When we see people who are suffering and going through hardship, we can bear their burdens and close the window on the vulnerability that they might have to sin. Offering care to one another in the middle of challenging life circumstances can be the, God, the path that God provides to avoid sinful thoughts, attitudes, and actions. So yes, the answer to that question is yes. Look to offer care to people who find themselves in the middle of hardship, even if it hasn't led to direct sin in their lives. Because through offering care by bearing the burdens, their burdens, you may be God's way of, again, closing that window to vulnerability that may be open to sin in that person's life. So what? The question is, so what? 
Can we, how can we bear one another's burdens and care for one another? Okay, so this is the direct application part, and I'm just going to give you three things here this morning as we close. So the first thing is this, and, and I think that this one might be the hardest one for us in this room, is to think rightly about sin. To think rightly about sin. Many of us, and I think this is natural, many of us tend to whitewash our lives to make ourselves look good. This is what the Pharisees did, and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Because on the outside, they looked good. They did everything that was right. But on the inside, they were rotting corpses. They smelled terrible. And so we need, to, we need to consider the fact that we might be tempted to wash over our sin to make ourselves look better in, in many situations. But the question we need to continually ask ourselves is, how were we saved? Were we saved because we kept the law perfectly? The answer is no. Were we saved because of the work that we did? The answer is no. God didn't look down at you or at me. There's no one in this room who God looked down at and said, that person looks like a great addition to my kingdom. Let's, let's get him up here. It doesn't happen. That's not the way it works. As a gracious gift, God extended salvation to you through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's work. You were hostile. You were God's enemy. God made you through the work of Jesus Christ, his friend. All of it was given, none of it was earned. A whitewashed life is not a life of repentance and faith. A life that has eyes to see Jesus is the only way we'll see sin as ugly and as a plague. Can't have one without the other. And that is a grace in and of itself. Thomas Watson wrote, Repentance is a pure gospel grace. Repentance came in by the gospel. Christ has purchased in his blood that repenting sinners shall be saved. Repentance is the seeing your sin clearly, seeing how ugly it is and what a plague it is, and turning and going the other way. Turning and running to Jesus. That does not happen apart from Jesus Christ and his saving work. So it is neither good nor beneficial to hide our sin. And what I'm not saying is to air everything out with everyone all of the time. That would be unhealthy. But I am saying that we need to readily admit that sin oftentimes does trip us up and it sticks around a lot longer than we would like. And, and so to think rightly about our sin, we cannot hover also, we cannot hover in the realm of generalities. And we'd like to do this because the more general we can be, the less guilt that we feel. But Jesus didn't come to die for general sin. He came to die for the specific ones. The lust, the anger, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the gossip. Jesus died for those specifically applied. Your wandering eyes that land on a coworker inappropriately on Thursday. Or your outburst in the car on 10th Street as you're driving to the track. Your lips that loosely talked with other moms at the park about another woman's marriage that's on the rocks. Jesus died for specific sins. Specific sins put Jesus on the cross. 
And the sacrifice of Jesus pays for each sin. Each sin that could have sent you to hell for eternity. Jesus systematically worked through them all. His blood striking each one from the ledger. That's the first thing. We need to think rightly about the catastrophic effects that sin has on us and on others. And think about the payment that Jesus made for that sin. The second thing is just to learn to discern. Learn to discern. And there's really only one way to discern. And King David asked this question in Psalm 19.12. He says, who can discern his errors? The the implication of that is, um, is that no one can discern his errors apart from the word of God. No no one can discern error. The Word of God is what exposes our sin. And to know the Word of God is to be able to identify or discern sin. You cannot effectively do what Paul writes here in Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 if you don't know what sin even is. But when you read and study God's Word, the Holy Spirit will call to mind in instances where you're engaging with brothers and sisters in Christ what you need to remember. Remember... Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A renewed mind comes through the word of God and is critical in discerning God's will and what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. When you know God's will and what is good in his sight, you will quickly identify what isn't and what should be avoided. So, in order to learn to discern what sin is, we need to get God's word into us at all costs. As a church, learning to discern is critical. And so the cloud of flies can avoid the spider's web. And when others are caught in sin, we can do the God-ordained, spirit-empowered work of restoring one another. The last thing I will say this morning is if you're stuck in the web of sin or have become the collateral of sin, entrust yourself to the others who are here. We desire to be a church who welcomes others as we have been welcomed in Jesus Christ. We were welcomed into God's family when sin was tearing us apart. When sin was tearing us apart and destroying us and had given us, handed us a one-way ticket to an eternity separated from God, we were welcomed into God's family. When we were with no hope and without God in the world, the floodgates of heaven were opened to us. That's all we have to offer. That is all we have to offer here. The believers here don't stand at the ready to tell you to do better or try harder. We stand at the ready to offer you the only thing that we can. The good news that Jesus Christ died to pay for the the sin that you're stuck in. And then give you the answer with the right responses and repentance and faith. To turn from your sin and to trust Jesus for all that you need. You're not getting yourself out of the situation you find yourself in. Jesus can. Believers here don't stand at the ready to tell you to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. 
if you found yourself in a position where you've been beaten down by hardship. We're here to offer you Jesus. The burden that you bear is a burden that you cannot bear. But look to Jesus, the one to whom we offer this morning, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We're here to offer you the truth that this Jesus died for the forgiveness of sin and remind you that one day if you repent and believe, you will never, you will never again be churned in the wake of sin. Friends, this is the care that we can offer to one another. Let's seek to live like those who burden has been lifted and seek to alleviate the weight of one another's burdens. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you for your church. God, we thank you for the gifts that you give to us. God, may we see them as the tools that we need now to fight against sin in our own lives. God, would we see them as the tools that we need to be a a church that is free from the effects of, of sin. God, we know that we will never in this life be, uh, be completely not susceptible to the effects of sin and to sin in our own lives. But God, would you, through your Holy Spirit this week, give us many opportunities to call brothers and sisters back to you. Do the ministry of restoration as those who have been freed to do so in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen.